And the people said, Beauty before age. Aww. That's that a great way for you to intro. Well done, you. Guys, it's wonderful to see you. We've been away for the last few weeks, so it's just really good to see all, so many new faces. We've only gone two weeks. Um, so we've been away. Our, the organization that we're with, uh, they had their annual conference in Slovenia. So we were there, and then last week, this one turned... 31 years young. <laughs> so we were in Italy uh, celebrating his birthday there on holiday, and it was really wonderful. But while we were away, it just felt like we could, no matter the fact that we were on holiday, we just couldn't get away from some of the events that were unfolding in the States and as well as here in Europe. And so back in the States, the same weekend that we're celebrating Terrence's birthday, there's white supremacists protesting in Charlottesville, Virginia. And then here you have the Islamic State claiming terrorist attacks in Spain. And you have all these things going on. And it reminded us that when, even when we first arrived, you had several terrorist attacks. Um, it's cultivated this culture of fear. And it preys on that. And there's no way of getting around it. And it's having conversations over this last week of friends fearing for their safety based upon the color of their skin to broken systems in place in society that oppress and dehumanize God's very creation. And so we're faced with this palpable atmosphere of fear. And in light of that admission, what is our response in this cultural landscape? What does this create in our hearts and in our minds and in the, in the dynamics of relationships and the people around us? And so this week, I thought God has a really good sense of humor because um, the one psalm, that I specifically was like, don't tell me to preach Psalm 91 because that's really cliche. He was like, Psalm 91, for sure. <laughs> so as we're going back and forth with all these thoughts and these questions, the Holy Spirit kept bringing us again and again and again to Psalm 91. And something that stands out, the psalm, it doesn't shy away from the abyss. It doesn't pretend like the vices and the powers, both seen and unseen, don't exist it speaks to them and it calls them out for what they are. And in comparison, it gives us this moment of clarity where we're able to see God's greatness and the intimacy of relationship that we have with him. And so we're actually going to dive into it. And the psalm will come up on the screen, but we're using the Passion Translation, which really flows like poetry and it makes me really happy as a writer because <laughs> it's not awkward at Old English. So I'll begin. When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy, and he will protect you from false accusation and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing. Whether by night or by day, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil launched against you. For God will keep you safe and secure, and they won't lay a hand on you. 
Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. When we live our lives within the shadow of the God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? For God sends his angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you walk into a trap, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here's what the Lord has spoken to me. I love this. Because you have delighted in me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will be satisfied with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. And that's the word of God. How good is that? Um, well, Psalm 91 is definitely one of my favorite psalms. God continues and relentlessly um, hits me over the head with it because I just can't seem to receive it. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one that reads a passage and needs to reread it two, three months later because you're going through something again and you just need that truth reiterated because we so quickly forget. Um, but one thing is for sure this morning, we're going to be really candid with you and we're going to be vulnerable. And <laughs> Okay, it's true. But all the more, we are going to be vulnerable with, with each of these points that we're going to speak on today. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd go there with us and be vulnerable right alongside of us. Um, because I, I truly believe that God is speaking through this passage and he wants to target our hearts and really do a work in us today. And I, I believe if, if we just open our hearts just a little bit, if we can creak open the, those old doors to those stone palaces that we build around our hearts. If we could just open the door just a little bit, maybe, just maybe, we'll experience his embrace today. Um, but so I, I want to propose this, that this is not just words, but this, these are words, these are declarations of a lover. Okay, Psalm 91 isn't just this crazy priest somewhere that just like whipped up this, these grand ideas, like this is the God I want to serve. No, this he was receiving downloads and experiences that he was having with his God. That he come, came to understand was more than just a creator, but was somebody that deeply and, and truly loved his soul and that was after him. And so I want to propose that this is not just words, but that it's the vows of a bridegroom to his lover. That Jesus is speaking this over you today. And we're going to confront some lies. I mean, you can't whip out and dish out truth without lies. So, but the first vow that I believe God is speaking over his people, he's speaking to you and I, is that we are hidden. That you are hidden in him. Now, we're not too acquainted with the idea that you can be actually hidden within someone. 
Um, that's a little abstract and obscure, but the idea of being hidden behind something that we get. Um, and we're really good at hiding. You guys are really good at hiding. And I'm not just talking about hide and seek, you know, and I was really good at that game. But we are really good at hiding. We're pros at it by this point. Um, we hide behind how well we know things, how well we maintain our diets or physical fitness, our work performance, religious or spiritual asceticism, accomplishments, relationships. We hide behind our educational background, our families, our knowledge of the Bible, our experiences, our talents, our political persuasion, even our socio or ethnic backgrounds. Whatever mechanisms can make us feel safe and secure, we hide behind. Um, for me, performance and people-pleasing can be an easy place to hide. And to be completely honest with you, um, that was really tough when we first got here because there was nothing for me to hide behind. Um, I was brand new. I wasn't doing anything. And something for me that I can easily hide behind is worship. And I didn't recognize just how much of my identity was found there, how much of my validation, how much of my value, um, and how much of a hiding place it was. And so when that was stripped from me, um, I felt naked. I felt exposed. Who am I? You know, all these questions just flushed to the surface. And so God has a problem with this because these are false lovers. Okay, we fall in love and we look for our hiddenness and protection from something that really can't hide us all too well. But the lie says, no, this is the safest place to be. But God has an issue with that because these things can't really cover us or safeguard us. And he wants to do that. Um, so these are illusions and mere holograms. Um, but through Jesus Christ, God has made a way to hide you. He hide myself within him. And this abstract idea, he wants to unpack it with us. And I want to reiterate verse 1 and verse 9. When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, and Shaddai is an interesting word because it can either mean destroyer of our enemies or God the Almighty or also God the nurturer of babies. So this one word can mean completely two different things. The nurturer of children, right? So loving and soft. The destroyer of our enemies. But it... it it's the same thing, you know, it's, it's this protective place. The shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. And then verse 9, when we live our lives within the shadow of, of the God Most High, our secret hiding place, we, we are hidden, we can hide in him. We will always be shielded from harm. The, the Hebrew word for to hide, um, it also has multiple meanings, just like Shaddai, but it can mean to cover, or it also means mantle. And we don't really use the word mantle, except for maybe a mantelpiece, but a mantle is a cloak. Um, what I love about the Hebrew language is that it's so tangible, it's so colorful. And when he's saying, I want to be your hiding place, or you get to hide in me, he's saying, I want to wrap myself in you like a cloak. I'm going to hide you. And think about it this way. The closest thing that can be to your human body, your flesh, is your clothing, right? If you're wearing skinny jeans, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, you know, it's right there. It's snug, and it's, it feels good. 
Um, but that's, that's what God longs to be for us. He wants us to sit and be hidden, be covered in him, in his presence where we don't feel like we need to hide behind anything or anyone and know that we are hidden in him and, and that there's no feelings of I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable, but that we are just completely satisfied and content and safe in him. God always made us to enjoy this. Where we're not worrying what people are thinking about us or am I, am I vulnerable? Do I have to cover things? He made us to feel hidden in him. That's how Adam and Eve were created. They didn't even know that they were naked until they sinned. And what was the first thing that they did was that they knit together fig leaves to hide themselves because they felt shame. And so this hiddenness that they had in God was all of a sudden taken from them and they felt exposed. And what I find interesting is that they, they made this clothing of fig leaves to hide in the fig bushes so that they couldn't be seen. It was like camouflage, right? So they wanted to camouflage themselves so that God, and, they, and not only God couldn't see them, but they couldn't see each other. And... So there was this deterioration of security. But God in his infinite goodness, what does he do? He calls out to them. Where are you? You know, he doesn't go rushing in and ripping them out. He calls out to them. Will you come out? Where are you? And then instead of letting them try to hide themselves, he performs the first sacrifice which is a precursor of the Son of God, the precursor of Jesus, the one that was once again going to hide us within himself. And he clothes them in the animal skins. It says in Colossians 3.33, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I hope we can start to fathom the mystery that we are hidden within Christ. And I want to, this is kind of heady and deep, uh, but John Gills, um, I don't know much about him. I haven't read up on him, but I assume he was probably from the 1800s because the way this reads, it was not from this century. But, <laughs> and it's going to be on the screen. Um, I'm just going to read this, and if we could just try to just take it in because it's, it's weighty. It is hid, and it is hid with Christ. Spiritual life is with him as the head, root, and fountain of it, and so is safe and can never be lost, because he, the head, lives, the members shall live also. And as long as it is in him, as the fountain, the streams and supplies of it shall not be wanting to his people, nor can the communication between him and them be ever cut off. Eternal life is deposited in his hands by the Father. It is bound up in the bundle of life with the Lord God and is in him forever safe. Nay, it is not only with Christ where it is secure enough, but it is with Christ in God. Christ is in God. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. They are one in nature, and so in power and glory. And this union between them, which is natural and perfect, is the foundation of the security both of the persons and of the life, spiritual and eternal, of God's elect. 
Moreover, this life itself is in God. Not only our natural life is in him, we live and move and have our being in him, but our spiritual and eternal life, he is the spring of it. It rises originally from it, from him. It was purposed in him. It was promised by him. The scheme of it, or was it called the fellowship of the mystery, was hidden in him. It was given by him. He is the fountain of it and that itself, and therefore the saints can never perish, nor need they fear any enemy. We are accepted, chosen, and wanted. It is within him that we find our sense of confidence, security, and well-being. We are hidden. You are hidden in Christ, in God. I just want to be like, mic drop. No. Uh, (laughs) The second truth is that you are protected. Terrence and I chose these truths. Well, the Holy Spirit chose these truths. But it's these things that we have in a propensity for wrestling with. And this is my, probably one of my biggest truths that I have a really hard time accepting and receiving. Because it's a lie that's been threaded throughout my entire life. And it's the lie that I can't count on anyone but myself. It's the lie that says I'm the only one who's going to take care of me or have my back. I'm the only one in my corner. I'm the only one who's ever going to defend me. I'm the only one who's ever going to fight for me. I am my greatest protector. And living from this place is exhausting, let's be honest. The dominant forces behind our relationships and our perceptions in this place, we function out of this space of deep fear of failure, a desperate need for control, an expectation of disappointment, and a horrific fear of pain. It also places myself and ourselves as a whole at an arm's length away, not only from understanding ourselves, but from God and from each other. It also reinforces this isolation. Like when we make a mistake or we feel like we've made a mess of our lives, the weight of that comes crashing down on us. We feel the weight of that, and it's crushing. Why? Because we're living out of a place that it all depends on us. So if I messed up, the weight of that comes crashing down on me. So in our minds, we may be, I may be my greatest protector, but in that place, we also become our own worst enemy. Yet Psalm 91, rather than delicately addressing this, comes raging in full force against these lies. It is a blatant confrontation of every horrific thing that one could possibly imagine coming at you in life. And it says in the face of it, no, no, not you, but God is the one true protector. In verse 5 through 7, it says, you will never worry an attack of demonic forces at night, nor have a fear, a spirit of darkness coming against you. You don't have to fear a thing Whether by night or by day, demonic danger will not trouble you, nor will the powers of evil launched against you. For God will keep you safe and secure. They won't lay a hand on you. Even in a time of disaster with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. So even in the things that we can't control, natural disasters, others' accusations, disease, God sends his angels, in verse 11, with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. If you wa- even if you walk into a trap, they will be there for you and keep you from stumbling. 
You'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every single one of them under your feet. The final portion of this psalm, though, is the one I have the toughest time swallowing. (laughs) It is the most difficult place for me to receive it because it reinforces this idea that in the deep places of pain, in the deep places of my brokenness, God speaks his presence. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me. Because you have delighted me as my great lover, I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure before my face. I will answer your cry every time you pray. And you will find and feel my presence even in your time of trouble and pressure. I will be, I will be your glorious hero, and I will give you a feast. This particular thing, this particular last bit, I've had to constantly go back over over this past week. Especially in the light of events with my family. Um, This past year, one of my older brothers, who I'm incredibly close with, his health... um, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's T-cell lymphoma. So it's essentially cancer of the white blood cells. And that was almost immediately a year ago after eloping with my now sister-in-law. And so with this particular strain, though it is lymphoma, and they, have, they know how to treat lymphomas, he is one of 20 cases a year around the world. And so as we've walked alongside of him through misdiagnosis, through finding out that stem cell transplants were an option to finding that, I was a perfect match for him to do that, to watching him go through the transplant process, to even in the last hundreds of days in recovery. In the middle of pain, the promise of God's presence. And the last thing, last thing in the world that I would ever do is read any other human being part of my journal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Viv's laughing because she knows it's really true. So unless I felt like the Holy Spirit constantly, hey, you should read this portion. There's, there's no chance I would ever do this. Yeah. God's sense of humor. No. Um, so this is actually a portion uh, from my journal. Um, this was a couple of days after, literally two days after my brother was in the midst of the transplant. And so it's literally like his body is starting from scratch with my cells. When I see him wince at the pain, the mouth sores refusing to heal and close, the mucus enveloping the raw internal portions of his body, the port serving as a constant reminder that his body can't do this on its own, but it needs outside helps. When the nurses, even while attempting gentleness, tug and pull at his skin, when he cradles his bald scalp, fingertips reminiscing over hair long gone. But he sighs, I love you. And he still laughs at my jokes. He mumbles me too when I tell him that I've missed him. And I know that that took everything in him. And he obviously, as my older brother, can't help but chime in, no matter the cost, when the topic of my ex-boyfriends come up. So despite the pain, despite the glassy eyes, there are these fleeting moments when our eyes meet and a thousand words are exchanged. That's why I choose the chair at the front of his bed 
so that I can greedily catch these moments as they fly past my head and when time and space pause, hold on for dear life. I don't want to miss a thing. And I'm greedy for these moments. Coming face to face with deep pain, the natural reaction for me is to often look away. Last night, with the cries of a body fighting for life, I had to keep telling myself, look it right in the eye. Don't turn away because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Be fully here, be all in. Being all in, allowing the pain to wash over me, to rock me, to accept that this is his present, my present, our present, and not to pretend, not to run, not to shut it out, but to be here in the middle of this with him. That's one of the greatest pictures of Jesus. In the middle of pain, presence. When I allow myself the opportunity to feel, to be honest, I can be met in that deep place of need with love, and that love's name is Jesus. In that full realization that my self-sufficiency wasn't going to cut it anymore, and neither was my family, no matter what we did. So aware that I couldn't protect myself or my brother. And it's Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus says, It's so resounding. Be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My Jesus has my back. My Jesus has my family's back. He covers what I cannot see. And he promises his presence. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but we are never destroyed. It's hard to follow that one up. So not only does he vow to keep us hidden, not only does he vow to protect us, but he vows that you are satisfied. You will be satisfied in me. Um, Personally, it can be quite terrifying to acknowledge that I'm content or that I'm satisfied because what experience has taught me and what people have vocalized is that the second you say that everything is great and that you allow yourself to be happy and full of joy, something will inevitably happen and steal that from you. And so it's, it's hard for me to allow my heart to be filled with joy. And um, it's, easier, it's easier to agree with disappointment to, to, to believe in disappointment rather than the hope of love and what love brings and that my Jesus wants me to be full of joy. Um, I believe this may be one of the hardest vows to receive. As humans, we are so used to being self-sufficient and prepared for disappointment that we are almost ready or hoping for it. Uh, we are more comfortable with the expectation for famine rather than for fortune. 
It is not unusual to base much of our belief in God on the predication that he will in fact reject us and our prayers. It is with great reluctancy that we may approach him with our needs. This is why it may come more naturally to go to, to, to medicine when we're sick as opposed to him or to our own devices when it comes to the job market or making money. Self-dependence is just a fancier way of saying, I'm too frightened to entrust my heart and my needs to anyone or anything else. But here we are. Uh, we are challenged in our fear. We are challenged by these very words in the psalm. We are challenged by the vows of our lover. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will be satisfied with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. He's making a declaration over us. Do you hear it? He's declaring that he is for us, that he is for you. He's declaring that we need look no further. He's declaring that we can enjoy the fullness of his salvation that he brings and provides. Imagine joy, fullness of joy. He promises us a full life free from striving, free from pestilence, free from famine and blight. He actually wants to be our sustainer. Imagine that. That he wants to sustain us, not us. You know, the, the Hebrew word for satisfy actually means to supply or provide, or my favorite, to furnish. Uh, I think of just a house with all the furnishings. So he doesn't want to give us just the bare bones. He wants to be our interior decorator. He wants to take care of the nitty-gritty, all the little things. It brings him joy. But that is so hard for us to imagine, isn't it? That he actually wants to see us happy. Earlier, I, I saw a picture during worship Maybe you've seen this painting of Jesus where he has this like huge grin on his face where he's like, um, it's like his mouth almost like extends further than it should, but it just encapsulates so much joy. And, and then I just saw this picture of these, these angels with these wicker baskets and they're just throwing rubies on us in here. And often we don't imagine that our God has so much and maybe he just likes to just throw rubies on us. Like he just likes to lavish. Something that we often overlook too is the word prodigal actually means the one who is lavished upon. So he wants to lavish his love and all his possessions and everything he has on us as a lover, as the bridegroom. He doesn't want to just take care of our needs. It's over and above. He wants to furnish our life, right? Um, but maybe, maybe it's hard for you to be waited on. Maybe it's hard for you to be pampered, to be showered with gifts and affection. Maybe all you've known is transactional relationships, where if something is given, then something is expected, or perhaps you've been let down, like Anna was talking about, too many times, and the only one you can count on is you. Whatever scenario you cling to, know this, Jesus will never force himself on you. He will always invite and give his bride the final choice. He doesn't believe in spiritual rape. He will never force himself on you. And his words, not mine, 
in the psalm. He says, because you have delighted in me as my great lover. There is a permission that he's waiting for. If you're wondering why you've been squandering and you've had so little in your life, it's because you haven't opened up your heart and given him permission to be with you and be your lover. You know, it it takes vulnerability to be loved, not just to love. I can have a hard time receiving love. And because of that, it can be hard for me to let people in, love them. Because I'm just waiting for the rejection or waiting for that disappointment. And so there's that belief in disappointment rather than belief in his love. Um, So what are some emotional needs maybe that you need met? Like I want us to just start to turn the switch and see him as our lover. And if we could do that, if we could just open up our hearts to him and say yes to his invitation, because that's what a vow is. It's an invitation into, will you believe me at my word? It's an invitation. Will you allow me to do these things in your life? But I can only do it if you, you say yes. Will you love me in return? Will you let me love you first? So is there health needs you have today? Is there financial needs, spiritual needs? Do you need freedom from oppression or torment? What is it? He wants to be your hero, and he wants to bring you to the feast. He wants you to feast with him. He's the one that's making the party. You know, when we... This is off the cuff. But when in Revelation, it's a party. And it says he's going to serve us the wine. He's the bridegroom and he's saying, come in, let me serve you. Do you think that all of a sudden switches over once we get into paradise one day? No, it's now. His countenance hasn't changed. In his ministry, when he walked the earth, do you ever see him deal in in lack? No, he's the God that deals in plenty. He takes two loaves and a couple fish, and he multiplies it to feed thousands. That is who we know. That is the same Jesus. So will we allow him to be our hero? Yeah. Will we allow ourselves to actually be pampered, be loved on by him? Will we allow him to supply us with everything we need? And, and will we allow ourselves to enjoy it? Will we allow ourselves to feel joy and not be afraid that it's going to be snatched? That maybe he's going to protect us so we can and be hidden in, in him so that we can enjoy life and life to the fullness. As he says in... Um, where did it go? John 10.10. 10. <laughs> the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yeah. As Terrence is saying, Psalm 91, it's a, it's a brilliant invitation from a lover. These are the commitments and the vows of our faithful God. And yet, as Terrence is saying, we always always have a choice. And I love what C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves. It says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. 
But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So where do we wrestle? Is it in the belief that you are hidden? Is it in the truth that you are protected? Or is it in the foundation that it's even possible for you to be satisfied to the fullness of what God has for you, the feast of life? Or perhaps it's in delighting with God as a lover. How many of us get real awkward real quick when we hear that comparison? Because oftentimes, <laughs> you've only heard the word intimate or intimacy in the awkward sex talk you got as a teenager. Or the idea of God as a lover is like, kind of, it feels offensive. Like, ooh, that's weird. That's too close. That's too close. It feels almost like sacrilegious to refer to God like that. But how many times throughout scripture does he say, I am the great love of your life. And it pushes past our preconceived notions of who he is. It pushes past the notions. It breaks the heck out of religion. Can't stand next to the lover. This invitation to intimacy, it's a proposal of deeply knowing. It's detailed, yet it's a relaxed familiarity with the great I am who I say I am. It's never a demand, and it's never a performance. It is a rejection of the false sense of security and the fears that we will often keep so close. It is the answer to his invitation. And this, this morning, as we transition into a time where you can have a chance to respond, and as the worship team comes back up, this past week, Uh, The Holy Spirit brought me to uh, John 3, and it's John the Baptist's response to Jesus baptizing. And uh, it's just such a beautiful response that he has. John the Baptist's disciples are flipping out because they don't know what to do. Jesus is baptizing across the river. And John the Baptist says, I am the friend of the bridegroom who stands nearby and listens with great joy to the bridegroom's voice. And because of his words, my joy is complete and it overflows. This morning, we have the approach where John the Baptist did, where we stand nearby and listen to our bridegroom's voice. And where we allow his word, the sweetness of it, the delight in it, to make our joy complete so that it overflows and we're able to receive these truths and let them change our lives. So worship team, aren't you? <laughs> Set the mood. Turn down the lights. <laughs> oh wait, they're already off. God. <laughs> so how do we respond to this? I'm gonna leave that up to you. And where you need to receive his love as a lover. Where Have you been pushing him out? Where have you been acting in self-sufficiency or in self-security? What has the tower been that you've been like Rapunzel in and he's asking you to let your hair down?
<laughs> um, and that's just an, it's an image, right? To let him in. There's a song. Open up your heart and let me in. Do you hear him speaking that over you, singing that over you? And open up your heart and let me in. He's calling out to us today. But we are going to have people up here to pray for you, to shepherd you, to minister to you. As God is speaking, he can speak to you right there. But if you need some help, and sometimes we do, we're here for you in whatever way. If you need physical healing, if you need a breakthrough, if you're just holding on to a lot of pain and you're so afraid to let it go because you don't want to be hurt again, come up. Come up. I'm just going to pray. Just release God to do his thing. We're going to do some worship. Father, we thank you for your word. We believe that it is perfect. It is inspired. It is authentic. And it's straight from your mouth. We believe that it is like an arrow that penetrates all the way to our bone and all the way to the depths of our heart. God, would you bring to light things, the false identities, the places that we hide behind, the things that we look for protection, the false lovers in our life, the things that we've said I do to and we've made an oath with, these cheapened versions of you, God, would you bring those things to light today and would you break them down? Would you deconstruct these idols, these false loves in our life that are really just illusions? And we, would we get some breakthrough today where we need healing, where we need you to be our hero? Would you sweep us off our feet? And we need that. Even as men, would you sweep us off our feet? Would we know you as the bridegroom? Would you help us understand what it means to be a bride? Yes, Lord, we invite you. We invite you, precious Holy Spirit, to move in this place, to tug on our hearts, to help us be vulnerable and real with ourselves and not to hide anymore, but to come out into the open, to let your presence engulf us and wrap around us. So have your way this morning, Lord. You are so good.